Hi everybody, Andy here. Just before we start this week's episode of Fish, we wanted to let you know that our special guest this week is none other than Cariad Lloyd. Cariad has been on the show before, of course, you may remember her very funny previous appearances. This time she's back and she's better than ever. And the good news for those of you who are Cariad fans is that she has just written a new book. Cariad is the host of the Griefcast, and the book that she's written is all about grief. It's about her grief, about other people's, about what we do when someone we love dies, and it's brilliant. It's full of interesting facts, for those of you who like facts, and if you are listening to this, you probably do. And it's also very heartfelt, it's very personal, it's very moving, it's very funny. It's all of these things and more, so do check it out. It's called You Are Not Alone. And if you'd like to see Cariad in a live setting, she is also part of the brilliant Jane Austen-themed improvised comedy group, Ostentatious. And they are on every Monday at the moment at the Arts Theatre, just near Leicester Square in London. It's a very funny show, I can personally attest to that. Do book first. Okay, that's it. On with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the relocated QI offices in Hoburn. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray and Cariad Lloyd. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Cariad. Hello. My fact is that if you are having trouble with your grief, it might be Bill Murray's fault. Because oh, <laughs> uh, he uh, kill, kills, kills, he kills he, and kills again. <laughs> yeah. And then he finds people who are grieving and he hits them. That's his oh, thing. No, right. because uh, I should backtrack this and say that the reason it might be Bill Murray's fault is the very famous film Groundhog Day, yes. which is based on the five stages of grief theory. Uh, the five stages grief theory is a very, very famous theory, uh, began in 1969, created by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book on death and dying. And it is really has been the most famous grief theory since then. Uh, it has now contested heavily. It's considered not to be that helpful or useful, but it's still the grief theory that most people encounter when they enter the world of grief. It's the thing that people come up to me still and say, oh, you know, I'm trying to do the five stages. It's not really working. Mm. And it makes me want to scream because it's, I can swear, can't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's bullshit. Uh, but the film Groundhog Day is based on the five stages, which I think helps to promote this idea that the five stages of grief is something that you can work through. Grief is something that will end. Can you give us the five stages? I can, man. Give you the five. You wake up. Stages. You wa- yeah. <laughs> you wake up. They're playing the same song as they were yesterday. Yeah. 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 Yes. Something about a weather report. I haven't seen this film. So, <laughs> James, genuinely, have you not seen Groundhog Day? I'm afraid not. Oh, you know what? It is worth, it is one of those that does stand up to yeah, watching. No. Every, James hasn't seen any films before about 2000 and... Something like that. Well, yeah. I've seen some. There's a few that make that it many. through. Normally, I'm absolutely fine when you say you haven't seen a particular film. And sometimes you'll say, well, "What that?" And then I'm Groundhog shocked. Groundhog Day. I, I don't think it's like, I haven't seen it on TV much. Is it on TV all the time? It, like, in my childhood, it was a classic. It was, was one it? of those ones that would be oh, on yeah. all the time. But that was in Australia. So uh, okay, I, okay, I reckon it's denial. Yeah. Oh yeah, acceptance. <laughs> Denial of the next subject. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why people struggle. No, the five stages of grief well. are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, okay. or the worst boy band in the world, (laughs) basically. Yeah, and so that was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who defined these five stages of grief. But But isn't she, I thought that when she came up with it, first off it was to relate to the dying as opposed to grief yes yes and then but then secondly she also said this doesn't happen in any particular order it's much like the facts on our podcast yes it's uh you can have uh, you could have acceptance but then later have denial but they always have- start with the celebrity don't they <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so on her book on death and dying written in 1969 written in 10 weeks uh, she had wow. a, like something like an article in Time magazine where they were like, wow, this woman's doing amazing work. And then someone was like, you should write a book. And she wrote the book and it became the bestseller that it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can write a book fast. doesn't mean it's, it will be bad. Oh, yeah. It's just like, it's very of its moment of its time. Um, she was an amazing woman. Like she was a founder of the hospice movement. She was working with people with AIDS in the eighties before that was considered like safe. She was incredible. And at this time she was working in hospitals where people were terminally ill, mainly with cancer. And this was a time when they didn't even use the C word. They would just say malignancy. Mm. And they would also not tell people. So for example, 
if a wife was sick, they would tell the husband, not the wife. Right. So she would be being told, she'd be having like radiotherapy and she'd be told it's to make you better. But they'd all be going to her husband, she's not gonna live. Right. So she came into this situation and was like, hmm, <laughs> this isn't great. If you told people that they were dying, she observed when she did that and helped them through it, that they would go through five distinct stages and they would reach an acceptance. And it would, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. They would deny it first of all, like, oh no, I'm not really ill. I'm fine. I can't believe it's me. Why am I dying? Oh God, why did you do this to me? This is the worst mm. thing. Actually, okay, I'm dying. I'm going to pay off my debts and apologize to all these people. Mm. <laughs> so she was talking about people dying. And I honestly, in my research for my book, couldn't find the moment that it became about grieving. Mm. It just... Right became about grieving because it was like well it's death it's same room and it makes no sense for a grieving person mm. like anyone who's been through any loss will tell you like you don't go through five distinct stages you get them pretty much all at once all the time and it can you know hit you five years later two years later ten years later so i meet so many people who are like oh god i feel so bad like i need to get to acceptance and i haven't done it and i'm always raging because i'm like it that isn't what grief yeah, yeah, looks yeah. like. But the reason it works in a film is that's how films work. They need to end and we all need to walk away thinking. I mean, not all films. Not no, all films. A good films. film will do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fingering a few mental suspects. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yay. I haven't seen that film. Hello. Uh. <laughs> Although Andy McDowell is in that as well. <laughs> She plays the doctor. She's really good. Um, we should just quickly say, because James hasn't seen Groundhog mm. Day. So Bill Murray is a journalist. He yeah. goes to this town to do Groundhog Day. The weatherman. He's yeah. the weatherman. Mm. Um, he wakes up in the morning and the day has begun again. He's mm. conscious of it. No one else is. And then the day of the yeah. so he's yeah. he's like a, a Russian time. doll at a TV show. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, yeah. Um, Happy Death Day is like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But he reacts differently. So first of all, he's like, "This isn't happening." And then huh. he gets yeah. furious and he try he starts experimenting with his day. Like, well, if I do this, yeah, will I be here tomorrow? And it. it doesn't matter what he, he does. He tries literally everything. There's a yeah. weird moment where he starts <clears throat> fingering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and he's trying to woo Andy McDowell's character and eventually he work, like he he learns everything about her becomes perfect and it still doesn't work oh that's I, a bit creepy isn't it it's yeah, really it creepy is, yeah. it's creepy yeah. that doesn't really stand up to today's standards no. but, but it is a, it yeah. is a um, it's a great film it's a brilliant film yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. um Kubler Ross oh yeah Cubs she, Cubs, she, Cubs she has a cool phrase oh, yeah. she said later on there's no such thing as any mm. guesses Death. Yeah, death. Oh, yeah. did she? Yeah. yeah, she said like she. she her became... podcast is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a mixture of our podcast yeah, and your yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> she said that she basically became so convinced there was an afterlife that she said, we don't need to worry about death. There's no such thing as death. That's why she was great at getting people into acceptance. She was <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, don't worry about it, guys. Yeah. But the weird thing yeah. is in her original book, the 1969 <clears throat> one, she mm. called uh, the belief in life after death a form of denial. So she oh, she actually yeah. thought that life after death was complete bullshit, and then she went through a change in her life. Wow. So she, she became she, quite spiritual. Then. Yeah. So yeah. she met a patient in a hospital who was called Mrs. Schwartz, and Mrs. Schwartz had been pronounced dead, and then hours later she was found alive by a nurse. So <laughs> wandering the streets. Yeah. So she went to interview her to say what happened, and she recounted that she said, "I I remember everything that happened. I remember being above my body. I wow. remember a joke that the doctor told in the room when I was laying Ooh. there dead. All that stuff. And that is what made inappropriate. Report report that. Doctor. <laughs> exactly. uh, so Kubler Ross basically went, "Ah, oh, this is interesting," and became obsessed with it. And she even went to have as it were, out-of-body experiences through a guy called Robert Monroe. And then as she got further into it, she believed that she had spirit guides that she was contacting, one of whom was Mrs. Schwartz, who did later die and then came back to sort of instruct Kubler-Ross right. about mm. her ideas about the afterlife. And this woman is in charge of most known grief theory <laughs> wow. known to human like Western culture, yeah. So one thing you write about in the book a bit, Kira, mm, yes. is the Victorian mourning rituals yes. and how, although they were very starchy and very formal, they did give you a kind of structure. Mm. And then you mentioned all the different paraphernalia of mourning. Yeah, they were mad. Bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it was really, culture highly focused on that. Um, 
I can't remember if you read about this morning stationery. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's get. really common. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 morning stationery. You get black-edged card, yeah. and when you receive that, you know that oh, the person who sent it to you that's is, cool. is I was thinking, greeting. like, rulers and, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> they had, um, in Regent Street, Jay's of Regent Street was basically, like, the Primarch of grief and death. Whoa, so you was wow. where you went and got all your clothes from and all your hats, and, like, gentlemen's funeral scarves had to be a certain length. Mm. There was, like, a book that told you, like, everything, like, wow. from the length of the bow around your hat to the staff to the color of the ribbon on your door to your morning jellies they like they kind of like made an industry of it as Wait, the so, sorry what is morning jellies that they jellies that you have when you would morning? they be like black i don't know oh. actually i never saw one. i just read oh. about it in the so, book but, but is it for serving at a wake for or something like this? i guess serving after a funeral yeah mm. or maybe you have it like on a sunday when you're feeling gloomy <laughs> um, well jelly used to be i mean if we're talking london there used to be um pubs where if you saw someone eating jelly a woman that would mean that she was uh, available for oh. sexual experiences i didn't know that jelly i need houses, to stop eating called. jelly so in public yeah. <laughs> purchased sexual experiences it yeah, was a, yeah it purchase. wasn't like a traffic light party <laughs> where, no but if you're eating a uh, strawberry jelly <laughs> yes you're not up for it <laughs> not, it's like handkerchief culture yeah. in, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. um Muffinocolic, uh, knocker muffling. What <laughs> is this? Say it again. Knocker muffling. What's So it wouldn't be too loud you to upset the people of the house. A door, door knocker on your house. Oh, yeah. You muffle it if someone's died. Yeah, and you'd to also respect. you'd have different colours as well. So like, if it was a black crepe ribbon outside, it meant adult, and if it was white, it meant a child had died oh. in this house, and it would be muffled. Oh. And there was so, yeah, there was like, yeah. it would cost you so much money to do a proper considered funeral yeah, like amazing. i think they read even a middle class funeral at the time would have been like a thousand pounds like it was really right. and they had funeral clubs where you'd all put money in every week so that you could get yeah. like the funeral you yeah, like yeah. that person deserves because if they didn't they considered their soul would wander around yeah. forever basically oh, really? so it's like your um, pension you know you all put in every week and then I mean, when you yeah. need the money you can take it like a turkey club like a turkey club but for the dead <laughs> yeah turkey's dead i suppose um <laughs> but no, they don't get anything out no you're right, you're right. Yeah. Well, they, but they don't pay in i suppose would um, you have like you know for a wedding you have like a present list do you was there a similar thing where i'd like this at my funeral and uh, you i think go, oh, it was I'll pretty set it was you a certain standard of funeral yeah it was pretty set yeah. and you just go can i just tell you one very tangential yeah. thing about um sure. knockers door knockers oh, this is t- oh, you told me it was tangential but it's here we go <laughs> so i so i was reading about knocker muffling yeah. and then I, I just sort of went on a rabbit hole of um like door knockers mm. you know that in old tehran right <laughs> yeah houses would have two door knockers one was square and heavier and the other was more rounded. Can you guess why? One for the ladies? It's one for the ladies. Oh. No. It's one for the men and one for the ladies. The men use the big square one and women use the rounded one and then you know who's knocking at the door and so then the woman of the house might not answer the door to yeah, a man yeah. That's for really kind of cultural reasons. So they they yeah. might also, I read this, they might disguise their voice behind the door to ask the business of who's oh. coming around. Oh, is that like oh. saying, oh, I've got some big men here that are going to beat you up if you come in. Do you, is that how you, know? you do? Is that that's, what you do? That, that's what I say every time someone... <laughs> Just in case they might be coming in to attack. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to let people know what's happening inside. I at, a, at a, an imaginary dog. Yeah. You know, down, Brutus, down! That kind of thing. Yeah, you know, that really works. There's that's like, when Julius um, Caesar's coming around, isn't it? <laughs> that's that great machine quantity routine, and she did it in her sitcom where she, you order too many pizzas, and the pizza guy's number was six, and you go, Yeah, it's here, it's here, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring it in in a minute. And then they're like, It's just for you. It's like, you could make it bigger, couldn't you, Andy, and have lots of different knockers, like a knocker oh, for yeah. your delivery guy and a knocker yeah, yeah. for a Jehovah's yeah. Witness person or, a, or whatever. Hmm. And so Don't come in, I've got some big men in here. <laughs> I don't want to know about eternal salvation. <laughs> um, so how long was mourning? In Depends. Back? Okay. So they had a rule for every single situation. Wow. So like rule for like your second cousin, like your second cousin's child, your sister, your, but for the most common people know is like for partner. So a widow would have a year in mourning where she had to wear black and then you go into half mourning and quarter mourning. Right. And if you in that year got married, you were allowed to like not wear black for the day and then back in your black dress the next day. Oof. So you could have a new husband and wow. be like, sorry, babes. Yeah. Do you remember Alfred? He was great, wasn't he? I'm still pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. When did we drop? It was it like a moment where we dropped this for some reason. Well, that's really interesting, Dan, because I don't think we have dropped it because I think we still have an expectation that we expect people to be over things by about a year. And if it goes past a year to two years and right. with grief, we're a bit like, oh God, three years, like she's still upset. Mm. And then of course you get the black armbands, which were mm. still going up. Like my mum wore a black armband when her granny died in the sixties. But I would say she's like the last 
person I've spoken to who but you still get soccer players doing yeah it, so you? soccer um sorry my brain went football in my oh, head so it's really like sports people and yeah, like yeah. military stuff still wear them uh, okay. right. um but other than that obviously you used to just wear it day to day and that comes up a lot on my podcast that people wish there was still a thing you could have that would mean like sort of handle with care because it's right. like you don't want to be a society that says you have to wear a black armband but for some people you know if you're going to a shop you're on a tube it's a bit like baby on board it's like i'm in grief like just be yeah. careful with me like yeah, if yeah. i'm in a shop or like you, you, you have know. badges don't you i business. did sell badges yeah, yeah but um i couldn't keep up with the demand what, did, what wow. did it say it said please be kind i'm grieving oh, and it okay. had two little hands and then one said um ddc member then dead dad club, dead dad club. <laughs> we had dmc and there was a little amazing artist called camille bassini who designed them and it was like a little purple ghost with a hat <laughs> with a flower dmc oh, right. dead mum's club not i was thinking run dmc <laughs> that can't be i thought you but they're yeah. dead they're dead it's like that and that's the way it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a shame in a way that we don't have yeah no, i yeah, yeah. agreed because yeah. you never know what, what anyone's going through yeah, at any time do you? yeah you know? yeah although i can see why you don't like the victorians were very strict obviously like you had to do it and if a woman couldn't you would no way you'd be allowed to walk around in like you know yeah. a bright yellow dress the next day I, I think we'd have to draw a line on where what kind of badges you'd have because yeah. like i definitely would have like be gentle lost an ebay purchase <laughs> uh, like you know i feel a small badge isn't it <laughs> uh, i've only got facts about groundhogs now. let's talk about groundhogs oh groundhogs yeah, you mind on. no no groundhog day yeah it's about groundhogs mm -hmm. is it because there's a, a special groundhog who comes up and if he can see his shadow. It's going to snow for a month or something. If, if you'd oh. seen the film Groundhog Day, all this stuff. They get him out of his yeah. little right. nest. Punxsutawney Phil, isn't he? Punxsutawney Phil. But there are loads of groundhogs. That's oh. an interesting thing. I mean, all over. Lots of places have a groundhog celebration. Oh, okay. I was just wondering if Punxsutawney is mm. the most difficult word that everyone yes. knows how to pronounce. Yes. Great shout. Yeah. From the film Groundhog yeah. Day. Yeah. But it's basically if he... They get him out, and if he turns around and sees his shadow, then there'll be another six weeks of winter. And if he doesn't, then the spring will come. How do they okay. know if he sees it? Well, what I read was in, in real Punxsutawney, there are two scrolls. And if Phil picks the scroll that says he sees a shadow, that's oh. how they know he's oh. seen a shadow. So there's these I secret see. scrolls. Do they look up the long-range weather forecast and lace one of them with <laughs> groundhog food or they whatever? They must do, right? They must do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The um, it's it takes place on Gobbler's Knob. Yes. I read. Yep. Um, do you know where the name Gobbler's Knob comes from? Hmm. <laughs> There's two theories. I'll, if you get either of them, you can have Ooh. a point. Oh, okay. Goblin, goblins. Oh no, knob. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> was it? Was it? Somebody was gobbling a man's knob, and they said we should call this Gobbler's Knob because she's always there. She's always doing that. Uh, what? Her? Jelly Sue? Yeah, Jelly Sue. And Jelly knob. Sue didn't stick yeah. with me. Uh, that's not one of the two theories oh, okay. that I have. <laughs> okay, that sure, fine. <laughs> you stick with your theories. I'll stick with what? mine. Oh, is it where people ate? on mountains uh, yeah like a knob is just like it's a, a mountain it's like it? a hillock well, that's right. why i thought goblins knob because it yeah, looks no. like a goblin no 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 your theory was not <laughs> bad oh, oh, oh. oh he's gonna get it so it's, it's where the old shoe mender used to ply his trade cobbler's knob and slowly it became <laughs> gobbler's knob yeah. why why did they start going because he gave I'm a lot of blowjobs <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna it's call a, it gobble an offer to sell shoes <laughs> is that like a happy ending for massages but in the in the shoe cleaning trade you know when he comes down to measure your feet he's bending down he's... <laughs> while i'm down here <laughs> Uh, no, it's oh because God. a group of turkeys might have lived there. Oh, oh, gobble, gobble, gobble. And then another theory is, like Dan said, maybe there were hunters and then that's where they would eat their food after the hunt. So they would gobble up the food. But I think the turkey is the most likely that's one. Good. Yeah, that is good. I didn't know groundhogs. The groundhogs are amazing. Yeah. So sure. They are, no, they really are. So I didn't know they were the same as a woodchuck. Um, and oh. it's, the, it's the largest member of the squirrel family. What? Okay. Oh, no. And they're brilliant uh, diggers. So they dig, they'll dig several feet down in a row, right? They live in burrows, several feet down, yeah. then a few feet up, mm. and then they level out and go along, Very right? Clever. And then off the side of that main tunnel, they'll dig several different rooms, huh. one of which is the toilet room, uh -huh. and they only go to the loo in there, and then when it's full, they just seal it up and they dig a new toilet elsewhere. They're very clean. Yeah, I was going to say the first thing that you said, they go down then up. Is that so they don't drown? or like, it's to avoid flooding. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. It's to avoid flooding. What do they do if they go to dig another room and they're like, oh no, this is, that's three years ago's toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, close up, close up. 
<laughs> you have to hit it eventually. There's how many yeah. rooms? How long is? I guess you keep moving the tunnel down. You really have to hide that when selling it, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. To the next. What's that? Oh, family. don't, don't. Yeah. What's on these walls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want to extend. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't extend them. Okay, it's time for fact number one, and that is Carrier. <laughs> Boom. Brilliant. It's actually time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that there's a bus tour in Hong Kong which is specifically run for people to sleep all the way through. Mm, lovely. Lovely, lovely idea. Sounds great, doesn't is it, it? Is it because people are tired <clears throat> in Hong Kong? That's part of the reason. <laughs> what do you think, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a terrible place to do yeah. this. <laughs> you just get people out and they're all like, no, I'm wide awake. We don't sleep in Hong Kong. Why the can't point? they get um, a normal bus? I love sleeping on the bus. Why can't they yeah, just get a so, bus? Oh, yeah. Well, they could. Um, yeah. It stops, doesn't it? And so they might wake you up and kick oh, you off. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, the idea yeah. came from... Uh, this guy, Kenneth Kong, he worked for a bus tour organizer uh, and he was chatting to one of his friends and his friend said he was really stressed. You know, he's got a really busy job, couldn't sleep at night. But whenever he traveled to work on the bus, he would always kind of fall asleep. Oh, yeah. And uh, Kenneth Kong thought, this is amazing. This is such a good idea. I'm going to do a bus tour where people are just encouraged to sleep. And unlike a normal bus ride, we're going to give you a goodie bag with an eye mask, some Ooh, earplugs. Nice. Maybe we'll get a very soporific tour guide or something. <laughs> Oh, that's a good idea. Um, but actually, the first time they did it, they had the upper deck for people who wanted to sleep, and the lower deck was for people who wanted to have a tour guide chatting to them. Mm. Yeah, uh, which feels like the wrong way around because if you want to see the sites, you want to be on the top. Yeah. Exactly. Floor. Really good point. Um, but anyway, they noticed that a lot of people found that more difficult and didn't sleep so now they're making two separate bus tours one for sleepers and one for not sleepers i also read as well that i don't know if they do this every single time but they might start with a huge two hour long lunch <laughs> so that's a very good you idea. go yeah. into a food coma really as you're getting idea. on the bus oh nice There's, you could do this for lots of things because there are lots of activities where you're put in a like the cinema for example yeah. or theater or you're an opera? that you just, go to sleep in a I'm saying that it's very easy to fall asleep especially if the thing is not good I once went to a Bach concert um, which oh, is yeah. you know duh, 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 yeah. duh, duh, duh. it's really sort of deep and sort of quite long notes and stuff and about halfway through I looked around and literally half <laughs> the men mostly I must say but they were mostly asleep yeah right. yeah it's really I used to go to lunchtime concerts at Wigmore Hall and uh, I thought, oh, this is an exciting London thing to do, but it was full of people like head nodding, just like, oh, this is so nice to have on my it's lunch break. Very hard to, yeah, you could get like fifteen yeah. minutes. Can That's you? headbangers, you know, at metal yeah. concerts. They're actually <laughs> just about to fall asleep. Kind of wake it up. Wake up, Gary! It's just about to start. I once went to Brian Blessed's house, and I was <laughs> hanging out with him, and he tells stories that go on and on. Mm. And it was just me and him sitting in his uh, adventures shed that he has. And he was, I was so tired and he was telling me stories and I fell asleep. <laughs> and I remember waking up with that sudden start oh, and I looked God. up and he was still They're talking going. at me. Amazing. He just didn't, and we were definitely way further away than where the story was when <laughs> I fell asleep. Great. We could hire Brian Blessed to go around to people's houses. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he must have yeah. some audiobooks you can listen oh, to. Yeah. Oh, I was looking up good um, bus tours. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. There was a tour bus for dogs in 2017 oh. in London. Oh. Yeah. But it was a bit of a well, okay. It was it was the Routemaster K9, uh -huh. um, yeah. and there was a live commentary of dog trivia from around London. <laughs> okay, fine. But oh. and the route was between places where you could go for walkies. But wait, so the owners are with the dogs? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> there are that's... dogs in Moscow who get on the tube, who live kind of down on the tube and sort of jump on between stops. Wow. And, and like the pigeons do. They don't, yeah, yeah. I don't believe that pigeons. I've, I've, I've seen them. I've seen them. I've seen them. Okay. <laughs> you I've you... seen them. Okay, guys, pipe down. I've done research on this, which oh. I didn't get to read out a few weeks ago on the podcast. Oh. It was all about can pigeons get the tube and do they know they're doing it? And I literally saw the pigeon do it though. No, no, we didn't because he read a research thing. A pigeon can be on the tube, but it does not have a conception of the map, in my opinion. I've seen it. Okay, but you know, there's the. No, but listen, let me tell you, there's the, tube, the tube bit that's overground. <laughs> so then it's getting on at one stop and going two stops and literally walking on, waiting by the door and then walking that's on. That's what I saw yeah. as well. So it's like, it's not doing underground tube. It's like 
oh, if I get on at East Finchley... I'd be more impressed then, to see a pigeon on the underground tube than yeah, on the Yeah, well, that would be... But also, <laughs> like, that would yeah. be dangerous and upsetting for the pigeon and distressing. It would be fine. It sort of slides down the escalator. <laughs> what down. we've seen is much more normal. An outdoor platform, pigeon gets on, rides some stops, gets off. For me, it's so normal, it's banal. I like, I <laughs> it's actually come round to banal. I can't even accept it. I wonder it. what you think, Andy, now that yeah. you've read this research. Oh, are I you trusting it. your own research or are you believing the eyewitness reports? I've literally okay, seen friends. it. Can I just... I just want to clear this up. I believe what you've both seen. Yeah. You've yeah. both seen a pigeon hop onto a train, the train goes stop or two, the pigeon hop off. Yeah. But Wait think- by the doors. Uh, Wait okay. by the doors. Hang no on. distress, no panic. Minded the gap. Pressing yeah. button. That button when it's <laughs> the open button. That's what makes it clear that the pigeon's stupid. The doors operate anyway. <laughs> Not on the overground. Not on the overground. I didn't see over. I saw underground. Underground okay, chain. It's an underground. My point is, I don't think. I think they might be hopping on to looking for food or something. I don't think they're. But it didn't commu- do any food. They're not commuting it, home. It literally, Andy, this this is what I saw. It just waited by the door. It was <laughs> playing Candy Crush. It literally got on, stood and faced the doors like a commuter. Everyone was like, "Oh my god, pigeon!" Doors closed, and then it went two stops. So that it didn't have to do... Two, the two is more convincing. If it was just yeah, one no, stop. it did two. <laughs> two. It did like East Finchley, um, so Finchley Central, like to West Finchley. So it like went out to North London and then got out. Mine had a okay. baby on board now. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the several days in a row within the same half an hour period, I will believe you've got a commuting pigeon. <laughs> okay. So, uh, well, what were we talking about? So what buses, were buses, Vegas. Oh, bus tour, dog tour. You started yeah, this, yeah. Chase. You said there are dogs on the Moscow tube. Sorry. <laughs> Can I just ask on your dog tour? Yeah, yeah. It's basically a way for dog walkers to get from one walkies area to another one and they gave them stuff in the in the meantime. I think so. I think it, I think it was a, it ran for a few days as a kind okay. of, to promote okay. the firm. Yeah. Are your Russian dogs commuting there? Um, they're just living there I think that's the idea right. is that they do go from one place to another where they know they can get food okay, from different cool. places but I can't really quite remember yeah I believe that, believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's fine <laughs> uh, but James, be... has never, James has never seen it but that's, that's I must say when I went to Moscow uh, I've been a few times but whenever I've gone I've tried to look on the underground for these dogs and I've never seen them well Andy still believes you so. <laughs> I was reading about um, uh, the bus drivers bus drivers of history Okay. Oh, yeah. One uh, significant and um, I mean very controversial bus driver was a guy called James Blake. You know him? Oh yeah, of course, Rosa Parks. He was the Rosa Parks oh. bus driver. Here's the thing I didn't know. Hmm. So he was called James Blake. It was 1955. This happened. Um, the the the, fa- the most famous incident. But she and Blake had beef already. Oh, I had read this somewhere because so she was like tw- a known activist, wasn't she? Like that yeah. was a big thing. But 12 years earlier, in 1943, she got on a bus paid but she'd got on the front entrance and uh, yeah. Blake was the driver and he said no you've got to get off and get on the, the, uh, the sort of back doors of the bus because that was the rule segregated yeah, yeah. buses mm. and she got off to god's sake alright she got off to get on the, the other uh, entrance and he drove off <gasps> which was a thing they would do sometimes as a kind of oh. cruel prank yeah. so she avoided his buses for years you know when she saw he was the driver and then that day she didn't notice that he was the driver she was oh. tired she was preoccupied and so that's that's what happened but he, I, he was a bus driver for 19 wow. more years 19 that. more years yeah, yeah. wow because yeah. well, it were quite she her story was one that sort of hit the right moment at the right time yeah. there were quite a lot of stories of of people who were refusing to step up from their seat yeah. and go to the back i think even rosa parks is story slightly yeah i was gonna she say wasn't, she wasn't tight she knew it was all planned and they used her right. because she looked quite mild-mannered and they thought that it would be uh, like uh, you know a way for it to for, to get on the bus and look like she wasn't going to cause trouble but they absolutely she was a super intelligent brilliant part of the organization and yeah. it was very very well they knew right. like they and were like going to do Martin this Luther instant. King was part of that group, yeah 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 I genuinely actually only know that because of a Doctor Who episode from the Jodie Whittaker <laughs> period so that probably needs a fact check but yeah. I think they yeah. would have got that right <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah a lot of a lot of seminal moments have happened on buses yeah. so George Harrison joined the Beatles on a bus did he yeah did so he? he was sitting on top top deck of a bus uh, not Paul- on top of Paul McCartney's head <laughs> <laughs> He was giving him a shoulders ride. Yeah, uh, Paul already knew him, and he, that's where he introduced uh, properly to John Lennon. And John said, "Can you play a song that was a very difficult song to play on guitar?" He played it, nailed it, and that's when they said, "You're in the band." So wow. that's important. George Michael wrote "Careless Whisper" on the <gasps> bus. I'm never gonna dance again. That Guilty song. feet have got no N17. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. the original, <laughs> original lyric. I was a tour bus guide. Oh, tour yes. bus guide. That sounded wrong. No, I was. A that's the right You're a tour guide who was thank on a you, bus. Thank you. Yeah. I was like, tour bus yeah. guide is the right. Here's another tour bus. <laughs> if you look over there, another tour bus is going past. So You're many tour buses. buses. I was a tour guide on an open 
top bus wow. for some time yeah. in London and I got in trouble a Did lot. You? Yes. For what? Making stuff up? No, I never made stuff up. Shouting, I shouting the, made a joke about the royal family and someone wrote and complained and said I should be ashamed of myself and I disgraced <sighs> my country. Wow, was what? it about Prince Andrew? It wasn't. Uh. At the time, that was that sort of thing wasn't known. It was about Prince Harry taking drugs, which was absolutely oh. known. And it was a really crap joke that every tour guide did on St. James's. So the shops have royal warrants. Yeah. So that's where they have a crest yeah. in the window. That means the royal family yeah. shop there. And the whole of St. James's, there's like... Yeah. Oh, like um, Berry Brothers, Lob and, and Cozy. There's all like the boot makers, the hat makers, and there's also a pharmacy on St. James. And you say that's where the royal family get their drugs. Although I think Prince Harry probably gets his from somewhere else. It's, it's a, a terrible joke. joke. It's, it's no, it's fine. And then and they you got your first comedy review. <laughs> <laughs> Two stars. We got up, we got up at Buckingham. I said, wow. oh, this Buckingham Palace, and a couple marched up to me and they said, we're getting off. I said, oh, okay. They said, we don't want to. I said, oh, <laughs> what's happening? And so it's you. We're getting off because of you. Ah. And I was like, oh, what? She said, what you just said about the royal family was so disgraceful. And then when the letter, they said I had disgraced Prince William. So they hadn't even been listening to my joke. <laughs> you wouldn't make that joke That's about Prince William. Annoying. That's the most annoying It was bit. so annoying, yeah. but yeah, I got in quite big trouble. Did you apologise? No, they'd gone. They're long gone. All right. Unrepentant. I'm glad you weren't my um, boss, Andy. You know a London bus? <laughs> Just a London bus. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The, the yeah. double decker, B- red big red, red bus. Do you yeah. know how long they are in terms of how many London buses they are? <laughs> what? They're one London bus. No, they're one point two <clears throat> times the length of a London bus. Okay. Uh, and that's because they're new route masters. And if you ever look at like, <laughs> whenever anyone says <laughs> this is so stupid, but whenever anyone says this is like ten times the length of a London bus, they're talking about their old London. Oh, bus. Oh, talking about the like route 30, masters. Yeah. yeah. But they've got the new ones, which are one point two times the length brilliant i'm genuinely That's interested really in that do you know i bit like i loved i'm the age of remembering route masters and they were great when you could jump on the back of the yeah. bus obviously it wasn't safe but it was brilliant yeah you never had to worry about missing a bus you yeah. just ran you could yeah. still jump on no because they closed them all because it wasn't safe yeah. do you remember the old ones oh, like had no door totally open yeah yeah, yeah no yeah. sorry i've jumped on the back of one where the door was open, open. <laughs> yes. was wow andy you were so lucky <laughs> you jumped on a bus and it was open <laughs> you didn't just run headfirst into glass I was, sne- I was sneaking off one bus and onto another one right it was, a, it was after okay. a, a party yeah was, uh, anyway i don't want to go into my showbiz <laughs> life <laughs> You know, we're um, familiar with the Spice Bus. Yeah, of course. Mm, Spice from Girls Spice Bus. World, the movie. You can, oh, yeah. You can, uh, you can rent it now. Oh, you can, can you? You can stay in it overnight. Huh. Are you, is this a hint for your next birthday? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Is no, it still so... <clears throat> It's White. tedious. I haven't seen this movie, but yeah, is it yeah. like? I think it's like Union Jack. That's not. That's not missable. You have to watch Spice World. <laughs> yeah. uh, Meatloaf is the driver. Um, is it still? Does it still look the same as it did in the? Yes, show. it's still the exterior looks the same, but the interior, unfortunately, obviously in the film, the interior was this huge three-story. Uh, yeah, it couldn't and, have been what it was. Yeah, no, yeah. and it's just a was it like bigger on the inside kind of thing? Yeah, was it? yeah, exactly. Well, they never. I don't think they made a kind of space-time definition about how big it was. It was just, <laughs> just, just kept showing you different rooms in it, like a groundhog's nest, basically. They all had yeah, exactly all yeah. their own zones. Yeah, like there's that. one more, <laughs> there's was one it? more full of shit from the Spice Girls than if you tap through. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! We <laughs> spoke about the, the um, Dave Matthews Band a few few months ago. Now. Oh yes. yeah. So, do you know the Dave Matthews I Band? I know Dave Matthews Band. There was this thing in 2004 where they dumped 800 pounds of uh, raw, untreated sewage <laughs> into a river, the Chicago River, while oh, they were crossing a bridge okay. on their, so their tour bus. Yeah, yeah from yeah. their tour bus, and they were unfortunately they were crossing a slatted bridge, and there was an open top tour <laughs> boat. <laughs> Passing by beneath the bridge. <laughs> Can I just say it was the driver rather than the band? I yeah, band to be fair, I was like the band were there, like now. <laughs> so anyway, that was a huge thing. It led to a lot of uh, led, I, think that, I think there were apology letters. <laughs> oh they yeah, apologized. Yeah, they apologised. <laughs> but I was reading about what happens, how you release what they call the black water. You know, right. the um, the, oh. the sewage from the the thing. Right. And you know, buses have changed a bit since then. I think they've been altered a bit. But I was reading an interview with the bus driver from 2016 about how you release it and there is a switch that says dump which they keep (laughs) supposedly they keep it by the driver's left elbow which feels risky (laughs) (laughs) thanks to the indicators (laughs) but these days there's like a nuclear button there is a plastic cap over the switch so you have to make a conscious decision to To lift the cap before I mean we all need that in our lives make a conscious decision to drop your shit (laughs) they should put the key for it inside a person (laughs) 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 sorry this is a callback to yeah. something the other day okay <laughs> where okay. yeah the idea of a nuclear button that 
you put the key inside a person, so they had to kill the person to get to Ooh. the nuclear And the president button. had to do it yeah, himself. So he, he so. has an initial... But how's he going to keep that inside him? Without shitting it out? <laughs> It'll be in, under his skin. Oh, his skin. okay. I thought you meant like swallow it and then go through the shit, get the key. <laughs> in this, in this <laughs> case, <laughs> sir, like... the missiles are going to be here in two minutes. The president is sieving a poo. <laughs> so like, I'll find it. I'll find it. <laughs> the key's covered in sweet cod. <laughs> Are you sure you want to lift up the plastic cover? Not yet, not yet. <laughs> oh god, sorry. Okay, it is time for fact number one. And that, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they say I love won't pay the rent. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that <clears throat> is Andy. My fact is that for many years, the secret of the British Army's balloons was known by a single family of Alsatians. Wow. Mm. By which I mean people from Alsace. <laughs> they were, were they all on a bus together? <laughs> um, this is a thing where so the ballooning um, <laughs> took off. If only the people at home could have seen the way that you built. I know up to that the line. face. The you pause. like you lifted up the plastic button and you, and you me, dumped. Thought... <laughs> <laughs> you pressed dump on your joke. <laughs> to God? I thought, oh my God, I could do it. I could go for it, couldn't I? They'll all laugh and we'll just move on and it won't be made a big thing of. Um, the British Army, they were experimenting. They were making hydrogen balloons. Yep. And yeah. uh, mm. this is in the 1880s. So it's a, a hundred years or so after, you know, the Montgolfier brothers and so on. Um, and hydrogen balloons are great in lots of ways, but the, there's a problem. Hydrogen molecules are so tiny that they escape from almost any ah. bag that you keep them in. Yeah. <laughs> keep them in the bag. Oh, my, I'll put them in the Sainsbury bag. Go on. Yeah, exactly. Time I got home, exactly. whole lot gone. <laughs> and... So they were looking for, to, for a way to, to, to improve the balloons. And there was this family, the Weinling family. They were a family of Orthodox Jews. They came from Alsace in France. And they had their own effectively secret proprietary method of making these balloons. And they'd made some for a, a scientific toy shop in the east end of London, which is cool, oh. called Mr. Herons. And the, the commander of the first royal balloon factory was called Major Templar. He hired the Vining family. He bought their secret, effectively. And then for, for a few decades, Britain had this big advantage in balloon technology because the Vinelings were on board and they were kind of supervising the first balloon factory. Wow. They, had be, they had to be persuaded to tell other people how to make the balloons because they originally, it seems like they wanted to make the balloons themselves. And like, we'll do it all, we'll do it all. We yeah, just don't yeah. want to tell anyone. I can understand that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty amazing as well. That, so it was a guy called Henry Coxwell who was walking through this scientific toy shop and saw this thing. Can you imagine like during the war effort, you're, you're looking for ways and suddenly here's just a toy for kids wow. that is going to yeah, give yeah. you the great That's advantage true. of the war. It's and what did the mad. toy do? It was like it was like a little hot air balloon. It was a balloon, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it worked, basically. It worked, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And the method that they used was a thing called gold beater skin. So it's used. It's made from the lower intestine of a cow. And what they would do is they would stretch out the lower intestine. And because, as you were saying, Andy, the nothing could escape. Molecules can escape is what they found. But what's amazing is that when they were, when they make the balloon itself you wouldn't sew it together so sewing might be a problem because there's micro holes that if yeah, you yeah. miss whatever mm. something can escape but with this intestine skin all you had to do was make it a bit wet a bit damp and then it would just stick and that would be strong enough to make yeah. it it's so cool. it's overlapping and it just Guys, how how did the Wilings find this out? Like, I'm sorry, how did this one family be like, oh, you know that cow intestine we've got hanging around? Let's stretch it out, dry it, and put like, what was going on in that family? It's Mikey's birthday, have we got balloons? (laughs) Sorry, that's what made me laugh so much, because it's amazing. It's like really amazing what they did and discovered, but what was going on in in Alsace? Well, they were already using this stuff for gold beating, which is why it's called oh, gold okay. beater skin right yeah but what um, are they using it in gold beating what so do do? you would put your gold in between two pieces of um, intestine intestine <laughs> or paper or whatever and then you would whack it whack it whack it to make it really 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 thin and so then you would have gold leaf instead of a gold bar oh and that's why it still comes in as two bits of paper the gold leaf like it does yeah yeah, yeah. what do you buy gold leaf if you can you buy it like it, for decorating yeah. people use it for like if you want to do like a gold effect on tables or on food or on, like... i have had biscuits covered in silver which is <laughs> That's a doubloon. Silver, yeah. <laughs> silver what? They're Indian. They're um, oh, in India, silver leaf. Yeah, they, yeah, thing, yeah. The silver leaf. They're, they're really they're popular. It's not. Uh, sorry, I'm going to sound like an emperor like, there. Like, <laughs> he's doing well with his silver biscuits and two knockers. <laughs> 
But the amazing yeah. thing is about this gold beating rate. So mm. you, you're making gold leaf out of a piece of gold and you could get a sheet of gold um, that was two millimeters thick and then knock it down, th make it thinner, thinner, thinner. So there was a hundred nanometers, right? And it's hard to say what that is, but it's basically, it's like if I was squashed into <laughs> <laughs> a flat sheet, which is the thickness of a human hair. We're okay. not going to do that, James. No one's no. going to do that to you, are they? That's... Well, you know, I get hit by a bus. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's how amazing. much it's, they reduce wow. the thickness of a sheet of gold by 99.996%. Wow. And they do it using this paper, this ox, you know, mm. this gold beaters paper. Mm. But that's the second process. To get it down to two millimeters, you need to put it through a different two pieces of paper. And that's called Montgolfier paper. And that was the same paper as oh. the Montgolfiers used to make their balloons. No. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So the first section of gold beating was Montgolfier paper, and the second stuff was this uh, gold beaters paper. Because wow. the Montgolfiers, they came from a family of paper makers, and that's how they got into hot air ballooning, because they had all of this amazing paper to use, and they turned them into balloons. So cool. Wow. It's so weird how one invention leads to another. Yeah. yeah. And it was the reason I knew about this is because we talked a while ago about jobs in the UK that don't exist anymore. Mm. And the last gold beater, I think, went out in the UK, maybe in the last 10 to 20 years. Um, it feels like a very labor-intensive job. It gold is. beating. Yeah, yeah. it is. Also, for the size of the balloons that they were making during oh my the war, God, yeah. you needed a lot. So one kind of classic Zeppelin mm. would require 250,000 intestines in order to make the size balloon that they needed in order to do it. Again, how did they first get the idea? <laughs> um, and it was mostly women, right? It was yeah. women doing this yeah, work. The, yeah, the Weinling family was... Um, it couldn't have been just them, right? They must have taught it to... But it was women else. that were doing all the work. Women did yeah. the, 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 the skin assembling, the skin, skin yeah. treating, and yeah. that factory was staffed by women. I think it was, I think it was one Fred Weinling. Or a, there were a couple That's of right. sons, but there was Mrs. Vining and two daughters who were the chief balloon makers for the, wow. for the army. And, yeah. and it was such a secret as well mm. that um, when it eventually got seen that it was being used by the countries, that was seen as treason. And this guy, Major Templar, who was yeah. the one, he actually got charged with betraying military secrets because they thought this was so secret. No one could have known wow. it. Um, he was acquitted because I think they worked out that he didn't do it. But that's how important this was to the war effort. But it kind of didn't matter for a few countries because what you needed was cow intestine. So they were being uh. farmed in America and they were being imported um, to here. Yeah. But like Germany couldn't get them because well, they, they have cows in Germany. I don't think they had enough at the time. It I was... think we've mentioned once before that Germany had to choose in the war between airships and sausages. It's mm. a hard choice that to make. You're tough. in total war. <laughs> Your society needs to survive. But it is the worst choice to make. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, in fact, they still use balloons in war right now, don't they? Do like, they? For instance, well, we saw in the news with these so-called like spy balloons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're coming back in. It's a new fashion yeah. trend. In the uh, Ukraine war, I think both sides use balloons. They kind of put them up there so that the other side kind of uses up ammunition trying to shoot them. Like they're, they're not, they're just distractions really, but wow. they are still used. Well, there were, um, there were bar barrage balloons in the Second World War. You see, you know, you saw images of London at war, there are all these yeah. balloons floating yeah. over and it's to make, um, you know, bombers have to fly higher to fly over them. Oh, yeah. And they they have steel cables hanging down from them so you can't fly around under them, you know, you, so that they're, yeah. they're a good air defense. And those were largely staffed by women. There was the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. They were on the ground. They would operate the winches, basically, because there's no one actually up there in a barrel yeah, yeah. balloon or, or hanging yeah, beneath yeah. it. So, yeah. And oh. um, Balloon Command was set up in 1938. Oh, yes, please. Even at D-Day. They... Good morning, Balloon Command. <laughs> <laughs> what colour? Purple? Yes, plenty of those. Like, uh, How old is he? Seven? <laughs> oh, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> D-Day had the Barrage Balloon Battalion who were wow. was specifically bringing to the Normandy beaches the balloons. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they were oh pre-inflated in the UK and then sailed over wow. to defend the, the I think that's good because if you're in opposing territory, you don't want to be like... <laughs> <laughs> stretch it. Stretch it out say. a bit. <laughs> you're absolutely right. They didn't show that at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, did they? <laughs> I'm asthmatic, sir. I can't do this. <laughs> Um, speaking of women in war, yeah. uh, the yeah. UK's first official policewoman was Mrs. Edith Smith of Grantham, uh, and she was became a sworn officer in 1915. 
and the Home Office weren't very happy about it because um, they said that women were not proper persons. That's what they said. So <sighs> it's it's something it. we have to live with. but I know, but <laughs> this is amazing. Quite a lot of the stuff they made her do was spy on women on behalf of their husbands who were away at war. <laughs> Wow, the power of the patriarchy. Isn't you can work for us amazing. if you take down your own people. <laughs> oh, so what, because they're having affairs? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have we ever mentioned the Hello Ladies? Hello. Have you heard them before? Hello Ladies. Hello Ladies. No. Hello Ladies were a group of women. They were in the battlefields of France. They were basically the, the operators who connect phone calls. The telephone operating exactly. ladies, yeah, yeah. But they were doing it on the front lines. Oh, and wow. so while being bombed, just connecting wow. these phone lines to make sure that these crucial calls mm. could be made back. Um, and at the height of it, the Hello Girls were connecting 150,000 calls a day. Um, and there was wow. a many total, the, there was 223 in total that were doing that. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's but a lot, of, a lot of those were calls being made to a policewoman in Grantham. <laughs> so, okay, what's she doing now? <laughs> well, did they look like they were friends? Or did they look like it was more serious? But yeah, and they, um, annoyingly, after the war, they weren't considered for veteran status and benefits because they oh, weren't seen God. as part of the military. And it took until 1977. Oh, my God. Petitioning presidents constantly to get them oh, any kind sake. of compensation. But they finally did it. But they were essential to the war of <laughs> like, hello girls yeah you were there you know yeah, yeah you were at the front there, line though. you weren't there there yeah, exactly oh my god wow. that's awful i've just got one more fact about balloons yeah uh, go on there has only ever been one balloon hit and run accident in the uk <laughs> okay amazing 2004 yes yeah. are we talking hot air balloons yeah wow oakham cumbria <laughs> retired couple sitting in their cottage having a nice no. time suddenly bang hot air balloon <laughs> Someone stole the chimney. Smashes into their chimney oh. and their roof and then flies off. Oh, my God. I oh, know. It was blue, yellow and red. I'm going to say, in defense of whoever this was, if, you, if you're flying, I used yeah. to live near there, if you're flying over and you're out of control enough that you hit a chimney, a house, yeah. you're probably out of control enough that you can't stop. Yeah, For to yeah. details, yeah. It's quite dangerous because around there they have quite a lot of um, Ministry of Defence flights they oh. practice around there. Do they? Yeah. Oh. Well, it's the only known, known, hot <laughs> balloon hit and run ever. So they, they still never... I haven't, I didn't find a follow up oh, okay. to the story. Maybe they did. So that's interesting because only a couple of days ago, I watched a video on Instagram of a hot air balloon <laughs> coming in close to it. There's a whole group of people picnicking on the side of, in this um, grassy bit of a hill. Yeah. And they're all, they all turn around and look at it. Everyone gets up and they're filming it and it just keeps descending and keeps descending. And oh, it suddenly hits the ground and mows through all of them. They're all diving oh out God. the way, all their chairs oh go God. through. No one's hit, everyone's okay. okay. And it takes off again and disappears off into the distance. And I don't know if they got their details later. So wow. that might not count as a hit and run. But, but could you claim a picnic over a chimney? <laughs> My picnic was ruined. <laughs> if they put everything back together, they noticed there was one sausage roll missing. <laughs> just grabbed it. Way Just left a sausage skin. Make your own balloon. <laughs> okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Orson Welles's nose rarely made appearances in his movies. Wow. Can you give me some of his movies? Yeah, Citizen Kane is ah, perhaps... I've seen Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. I have, but I don't remember any <clears throat> noseless men in that. Well, he was never noseless. Oh. He never... Yeah, he didn't... He wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people would talk about Citizen Kane in a different way. There was no nose on his face. <laughs> like he spends his whole time lusting over... What was it? Rosebud. Rosebud. Memorialising Rosebud. He'd be memorialising his nose. Yeah. <laughs> Rosebud, more like... No! Thank you. I nearly started watching Citizen Kane last night, but... I have you quite, not seen it? No, I got quite tired. <gasps> it's no, incredible. It's incredible. Am I the only one here who hasn't? Mm, yeah. yeah. Oh, so. the worm turns and builds its little nest down. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, God, I'll keep going with that. Builds its little nest down, then realises this Dig is full of shit from a groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> Carries on. Actually absorbs it because that's its deal. Yeah. You've got to watch Citizen Kane. It's classic. Yeah. I've, I've, seen, seen, um, great, yeah. I've seen a couple of his. What have you seen? The Magnificent Ambersons. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that. Very much a B-side oh, these okay. days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is great. It's, it's an old... The Third Man, which oh. he didn't direct. He just is in. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, but he was such a director. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Was, that, well, that's okay. So, yeah, yeah. for the people that don't know Orson Welles, um, Citizen Kane is often regarded as one of the greatest movies ever made. I actually was surprised. I went onto IMDb. I expected to see it behind Shawshank Redemption. It was actually 95 on the top 100 list. But Whoa. I think you know, there's three Avengers movies in that top 100 <laughs> ahead of it. So I think yeah, if you check like altered. yeah, you went onto IMDb. If you check like Guardians top films, yeah, like, I exactly. think it'd be... it was the Paddington two of its day. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> it absolutely was. Um, Orson Welles was as Andy says he was a director he was a writer he was an actor he went from radio to stage to film doing iconic things in every single place he supposedly uh, created a national uh, terror when he did War of the Worlds on radio that's been mythologized to be a lot worse than it actually was people you know claiming they thought aliens were really invading were really kind of newspapers just bumping that up but one thing about him is that for someone who was so confident and he was known to be so bolshy and, and, and people would talk about his rage and his passion one thing he was absolutely insecure about was the size of his nose which he thought hadn't really grown since childhood and so every single movie that he <laughs> did except basically for one movie as far as i can tell which was the third man he always had prosthetics on his nose yeah. and sometimes applying it himself there's an account by a guy called lewis gilberts who was a director and he did a movie with him in 1959 called ferry to hong kong and he said that basically he would do his own nose and the problem was is that his nose would be quite different shot to shot yeah they said in, it was like wonky or green yeah or... sometimes it was tilting upwards sometimes <laughs> it was tilting downwards occasionally it just went sideways um it was not a consistent nose for the entire right. movie yeah i read one quote saying he said that his nose had not grown one millimeter since infancy mm. um which i don't i don't believe it <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> there's no way he had an actual baby's nose i felt bad though because when yeah. when you do look at so i was like what no he doesn't and then i saw a picture of him without it and i was like I guess it is small. I think um, it doesn't fit his personality because he was yes. known for being this like huge raconteur character, like absolute, almost, I guess, Brian Blessed style, like fill the room. Yeah. That it, it doesn't, you expect him to have a much bigger features and the rest of his features mm. are quite big. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with having a small nose. He, he allegedly, he kept, he kept yes. every fake nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he had a glass case for each one and he also gave them all names. That's quite common mm. in, uh, prosthetic and wig world on tv they sometimes give them names really yeah i don't know why i guess because often you have to look after a wig yes so yeah. you have to kind of like wash it and preen it and stuff or prosthetic it so oh. you would give it it's not uncommon to give it a name carried you've done a lot of um sketch comedy on tv or yeah. part of shows where you're a comedy character playing a celebrity like murder and success oh yeah yeah have you ever worn a prosthetic nose uh yeah i have i'm trying to think now i had to wear loads for murder successful but i can't remember which one i think for cheryl cole had to have a prosthetic nose did it have a name <laughs> <No>. <laughs> i think we called it cheryl to be oh, fair right. uh, he didn't call them the actual names well, he though, did it. very weird thing. So he was in a film called touch of evil mm. oh yes one of his classics his nose from that was called sandra okay. oh yeah okay. it well, might be always women's names <laughs> one the one of the king lear one was called sloan jr so okay. I don't know if there's a character called Sandra in Touch of Evil, but there's no character called Sloane <laughs> Jr. in King Lear. No, it's Goneril's, Goneril's brother. Oh, is sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when, actually, when he was making that film, uh, I think they lost his nose halfway through production and it, it had been posted and it hadn't got, come through. And they basically halted production on this big Hollywood oh film while they searched every post office in Hong Kong for to find his nose. Um, also, Moses' father was called Dickhead. His name was Richard Head Wells. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Dickhead Wells. And, he, and he, he, he's pretty cool. Uh, was father. He uh, was a kind of inventor and an engineer. He invented a glider, get this, which was attached to a steam engine yeah. on the ground. Okay. So it's a plane whose engine is on the ground. And the plane flies up there. And then... You know what it feels like? What? Um you would have angular momentum on it. If you just try to go forward, you'd end up going in a circle like those fairground rides. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. But it did not work. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe it worked, but it didn't. Didn't, didn't catch on. It didn't uh, take off. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan, you mentioned the War of the Worlds thing. Yeah. Um, he came a bit depressed afterwards because he said that uh, he had two lots of friends. One lot of friends had heard the recording and one lot hadn't. And anyone who'd heard it would want to tell him everything, what they thought about it. And anyone who hadn't heard it would tell him tediously why they hadn't been <laughs> near a wireless on the day. So that everyone he spoke to all wanted to speak to him about that. 
and is I that read... like how you guys feel like people just come up to you with facts or they go I've never don't really not really into podcasts it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> a lot more of the latter than the yeah. former I have to say yeah. I read an interview with him from 1939 and he said that no one has said anything original about that broadcast for at least nine months wow <laughs> you know, there's a weird coincidence which is that H.G. <clears throat> Wells was in America and he was driving around and he got lost and so he pulls over and he, he goes excuse me sir can you help me to find where I'm going and it's Orson Welles and they make oh. the establish they establish that each other each other and this was not long after Orson Welles had done War of the Worlds but of course he wasn't a big face back then Orson Welles he was a radio guy wasn't a big guy. nose that's he for sure <laughs> You know, yeah. he couldn't have gone like, oh, I'm going to pretend oh. I don't know who Orson Welles is. I wonder he, if H.G. Wells was recognisable. Quite possibly, um, yeah. from people, the back of books. Were people know. just less recognisable back in yeah, the day, I guess though? So. You didn't have more. You didn't have author jacket photos in the same way that you do these days. Know. And as we know, author jacket photos are not representative of what someone looks like in real life. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Holding up my book. Okay, yours is, but yours most people are not. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I also um, read some newspaper articles from the day after the um, the recording went out. Yeah. Uh, to see, you know, did it happen, or you know, was this kind of craziness? Did it exist? Uh, and the Journal Times, I read, they collected articles from all over America about what had happened. Uh, and they said that Senator Clyde Herring of Iowa had called for more regulation of the press mm. as a result of everyone thinking that the Martians had attacked, which is pretty typical. Apparently in New York, one person had called the police and said, I want a gas mask. I'm a taxpayer. <laughs> uh, and the police had just said that that had definitely happened and there was a town of concrete which is in washington state and apparently there was a power cut just at the moment the martians oh, put yeah, their death yeah. rays into action <laughs> and this was reported the day after it went out so i think it did happen um but the thing was like they did advertise that it was fiction they said right at the top of yeah. the episode awesome yeah. comes on at the start and says this is fictional yeah. and then they had four times in the middle they said just to remind you all this is fictional and then at the end yeah. he comes on <laughs> and says by the way that was a play you just listened to so there was a good radio 4 documentary mm. about what happened and how to i mean there were people who obviously did yeah. lose their mind but, but it's a tempting myth yeah yeah exactly like the, the five so... stages oh guys huh? Like, so it's nice to believe that that would be true. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's nice to believe that sort of people back in the day were so stupid they didn't <laughs> understand radio. You think, oh, we've come a long way, we understand yeah. radio now, you know. Yeah. Wells, um, Wells, so Dan, you mentioned his most famous film appearance, maybe, and certainly maybe the one he's most famous for these days is in The Third Man. Yeah. Where he, it's in Vienna, it's after the Second World War, it's, and it's an amazing, it's a, Amaz That is unmissable, it's a, it's I would incredible say. incredible film, got to so good. Film. And there's a big scene, there's a scene in the sewers <laughs> of Vienna where they're chasing he's playing this mysterious um sort of black market dealer and 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 you know crook and um he's he's very very dodgy but they did the filming in the sewers of vienna and they you know they all went down there though it's actually very clean in lots of places and the director had his coffee brought down to him on a silver tray by a waiter from one of these old viennese cafes you know the only person who refused to go down into the sewers awesome was Orson Welles. yeah and they had to build Oh a fake God. sewer no. in Shepparton. Wow. Oh is that the famous shot of him, though, in that really, like, the really white circle? And Must it's be him right. in, yeah. yeah. It's either a body double or it's oh, Shepparton wow. and everyone else had filmed their bits wow. in Vienna. Yeah, I know. But he that... wouldn't have been able to smell it anyway with his tiny nose. I mean, he was at, like, I can't remember what film it was, but it was filmed in the Deep South. And that actress was quoted as saying, like, it was so hot and sweaty that his nose was, like, falling off. My like, nose is running. It... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he was, uh, if he was a woman, he'd be called a diva. Like, the things he would oh, refuse to do. He was a diva. Yeah, right. diva, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the guy, I think it's the guy who plays Iago or Cassio, wrote a whole book about the experience of filming Othello, of, like, how insane and awful it was. Like, that was his, kind of made his money on this. Yeah, Othello. called Cassio. Yeah, <laughs> the one that loves Desdemona and starts oh, off all the he's trouble. He's the one who has that great line. Beep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Andrew. <laughs> yes, fellow English literature scholar. Yes. Oh, apparently, when he was directing Othello, um, was that a film? The, the, Othello, Othello is a, a film. film. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. it did. yeah. It's, it's a great film. It's really uh, interesting. I think he might have also staged a stage version of Othello because apparently, when yes. he was directing that, <clears throat> he would push the actors around the stage with a twenty-foot pole, <laughs> shouting, "To hell with the method! This is the Wells way. Act, you sons of bitches!" <laughs> Amazing. Do you know where Orson Welles is buried? No. No. This is he's buried. Uh, can we guess? I yeah. Guess have it. a guess. Have a guess. Perlachaise. Oh. Ooh. 
It's just the most no. famous Is cemetery the I can think of. That's in Paris. Okay, oh, let me let me let me rephrase. No, 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 no. You're like this. You're like this. I'm going to rephrase the question because this is actually the wrong angle. Okay. Remember a few weeks ago when we had Sarah Pascoe on, we talked about the guy who invented Pringles being buried in a Pringles yes. tube. Yes. Tube. His Once ashes. And okay. You can't stop. So where is Orson Welles buried? Ah, it's like in a film great. canister, a film canister oh, in the Hollywood Hills. Very good. Um, yeah. He's in the Hollywood sign. They poured him in into the O. Into the O. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, well, the three O's. Um, in a, oh, God, in a well. Orson Welles is in a well. Oh. Is it? He's in a well. James got it. James in got it. Well. No way. He's buried. He was. This is years after his death. His daughter brought the ashes of him to Malaga in Spain to a place called Ronda. Um, where he's now on the property of a retired bullfighter uh, wow. who he really liked. I've who been he was to friends with quite recently. Have you? Yeah, that's the end of the anecdote. <laughs> okay. But Orson Welles is in a well. <clears throat> wow. In wow. Malaga. Yeah. Lovely city, Malaga. <laughs> is that the end yeah, of the anecdote? Actually, <laughs> it's great. surprising because you think, like, you, you oh, no, associate nice. it yeah, with Malaga's package great. holidays, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's really nice. It's yeah. incredibly. The cathedral is called mm, La Manquita, I think. <laughs> Which means the woman with one arm. Oh. And it's because it's got two towers, the cathedral, but only one of them was completed. Wow. So one of them is, is shorter than the other. Um, Simon Callow, the actor, yes. he is a maybe Big one fan. of the biggest Wells yeah, experts yeah. on the planet because yeah. he's currently writing a biography of Orson Wells. He was he started working on it in nineteen eighty nine, when Orson Wells had been dead a few years. Mm. He thought, Well, I'll do two volumes, take about three years, nineteen ninety two, be done. Great. Book one was published in 1995. Okay, took a bit longer, fine. But better do, but book one, fine, right. Book two. Volume two was in 2006. Volume three came out in 2015. Mm. And he's now working on volume four. Yeah. It's so, it's such a huge project. He's done, saying he's done other stuff in between. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> four weddings and a funeral was in there at some Look, point. he's a busy man. Pop idol, is that him? <laughs> no, 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 no. But who among so us doesn't Jesus. make that mistake? I always make that mistake. When they go to him in the judges chair, he's surrounded by <laughs> books on wells and he's conducting interviews. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Cariad. At Lady Cariad, because I did it a long time ago. <laughs> and I. Because of your damehood. And my, because of my damehood. Or at Cariad Lloyd on Instagram. It's more where I am. Right. And yeah, you can also get us on at No Such Thing or go to our website, nosuchthingasafish.com, and check out all of our previous episodes but most important of all get yourself to an online bookshop or a real bookshop to pick up You Are Not Alone Cariad's book all about grief and it's uh, tied in with her podcast Griefcast so give that a listen as well I'm sure you have already but get back to it this week <laughs> and uh, yeah has anyone died get back in there guys <laughs> uh, but that's it for us for now we'll be back again next week with another episode we'll see you then goodbye goodbye